listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. Hockey, 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 hockey. It is all hockey this hour. We will take you live to that press conference at the uh, bottom of the hour as we discuss the firing of the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're going to try and take a look at this from not such a hockey angle because I think there's a lot of places that you can get the hockey angle, but more about let's follow the money and let's figure out who's next in terms of the chopping, chippity-chop-chop. Chop. But before we get to all of that, let's begin at Queen's Park, shall we, where just a short while ago the premier of this province held a press conference out front the of the door of his office on the second floor in the west wing. I'll just give you a lay of the land there. It's a nice little sort of, you know, mahogany. I don't know what kind of wood it is. It may not be mahogany, but it's wood panel. I'll tell you that much for, for free. And it's beautiful. And what happens is they say, okay, the premier's going to have his press conference and he comes out. But you think to yourself, you know what? The legislature actually has a media studio, which is paid for by tax dollars, by the way. And why is it that the premier doesn't go down there? Is it, what, why can't he go down there? No, he's got to go up. He's got to go. Anyway, that's a story for another day. But Doug Ford is off to Ottawa, where he will meet, meet with the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau tomorrow in Trudeau's office. And you got to think, how awkward will that be, considering what we just saw in the federal election campaign? And that was the first question for the Premier today. Like, just how icy, just, is it going to be weird, dude? Is it going to be weird? Premier? It's never personal. Politics is politics, and... I have a pretty thick skin, and I understand uh, what he was doing. When I had a conversation with him, I told him uh, politics are done, and let's roll up our sleeves and start working together, and he agreed. That is Premier Doug Ford talking about his meeting tomorrow with the Prime Minister. All is good. Just politics, people. Just politics. This is the new and improved Doug Ford, and it is clear that the Premier has gotten the message that the bombast does not work. I miss the bombastic Doug Ford. I wish, see, I had a whole show just all planned around the crazy things he was going to say at this press conference, and then he totally disappointed me. He absolutely disappointed me because here he is again. We're lobbing in these things, and and Rob Benzie from the Toronto Star, who often leads off these press conferences, basically said, look, the prime minister called you every name in the book. You going to stand there and take that? And Doug Ford says, politics, no big deal. The Globe and Mail's angle today is that DECA Labels, that is the company that Ford is the head of, that is the family tr- company, the label-making company that the Ford, comp- the Ford family has, uh, that, uh, in fact, Mr. Ford is still, Premier Ford is still listed as the president of the company. And is that not a little bit weird, considering that it is supposed to be in a blind trust? The Premier was asked about that by the Globe and Mail. It's in blind trust, as you know. Uh, I have no uh, day-to-day operations. I'm not involved in the company. And uh, the integrity commissioner passed it. So, no day-to-day operations. He said in the House later that he's just simply too busy, that there is nothing to see here. Uh, Keep in mind, though, that he he did mention at one point that maybe DECA should have made those stickers, those gas gas carbon tax stickers that are on the gas stations that seem to be peeling off so easily. Let's move on to the $321 million estimated cost to wind down all of these green energy projects. 
and the NDP claiming that that number may still go up and that we may have just yet another gas plant scandal on our hand, but this time it's with ripping up contracts for building of green energy. The Premier was asked about that. Here's his response. I'm, I'm so proud of that. Um, first of all, I'm so proud of a record of cancelling the cap-and-trade carbon tax. It was a terrible, terrible tax. I'm proud that we actually saved the taxpayers $790 million when we, we cancelled those uh, terrible, terrible tur- wind turbines that uh, really, for... For the last uh, 15 years, it has destroyed our energy file. And people wonder why they're doing their laundry at 9, 10 o'clock at night. It's because of this. No, it, you're not doing your laundry at 9 and 10 o'clock at night because of wind turbines. Let me just, let me just point that out. All right, I'll just quickly tell you about the green energy sector. And I, so much blame is placed on wind turbines. And it is clear that the former Liberal government was not very good at dealing with contracts. They basically wrestled all the contracts to the ceiling. They invested heavily in green energy projects when at that point it was kind of becoming more and more clear that we didn't need that much energy, that we had an excess. And as you know, sometimes we actually pay other jurisdictions to take our energy as a result. But to blame it all on the wind turbines and to say that things like you know, time of day usage is because of green energy. That is a disconnect there, and is is simply not true. Let's move to beer and beer and wine in corner stores. As you know, the Premier has long promised that that is coming, but there is a deal in this province that this province has with the Brewers Retail, the foreign multinational companies that control that quasi-monopoly selling you beer at the beer store. And and to be able to put beer and wine in the corner store, you're going to have to rip up that contract. The government has said that it would do that. It actually introduced legislation to do so, but it's stalled. And so now there's a question afoot about, well, wait a minute, how serious are you about this? And what kind of penalty are you willing to pay to be able to get yourself out of that deal with the brewer's retail and be able to fulfill that campaign promise of putting beer and wine in corner stores? Randy Rath is a longtime journalist at Queen's Park. He is an absolute character. He works for CHCH, and he consistently asks questions about this sort of thing because, it I mean, it's a good question. But every time he asks a question, the Premier answers with this. Oh, Randy, I'm buying you a case of beer for Christmas, I promise. But no, it's not. No, no, we're, we're negotiating, and I think it's going to work out really well. Uh, we are going to have beer in the corner stores and retail stores. We're negotiating hard. Uh, the finance minister, Rod Phillips, is doing a great job working with the beer stores. And they're, what I understand, they're being very, very uh, collaborative. They're being very collaborative. So that means probably there has been a softening of tone, and that is what Travis Danrej, our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, has heard as well about these negotiations, that things have changed in terms of tone, that under Fidelity it was much more like, well, that's it, you're done, we're ripping it up, goodbye. And it's different now under Phillips. What is the give and take here? Keep in mind that this is a negotiation. So what does that mean about the number of convenience stores that will be able to have beer and wine, and when will it happen? Don't hold your breath, folks. Now to another promise from Doug Ford. He recently promised that he was going to become bilingual. He said, just watch. I'm, I'm, I'm going to learn French. Well, in advance of his meeting going up to Ottawa with the Prime Minister, the Premier was asked today, hey, how, how are those French lessons coming? 
Bonjour. Comment ça va? <laughs> but I, I think it's critical. Everyone, every every elected official learns French. Matter of fact, I think all our students should be learning French. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. Like, like a lot of us, uh, it was a great grade three to, to grade nine, and and uh, I think it'd be pretty easy to pick up. But I'm going fo- to focus on learning uh, more French. From grade three to grade nine, that was his French. From like like a lot of people, uh, and he he seemed. Did he say that it was going to be easy to pick up? I'm just going to throw that out there because I I am going to argue that it is not that easy to pick up. It's not it, Canada's other official language. It's not it's not like oh yeah, I remember this from grade nine. It's no problem. I can conjugate that verb all day long. No problem. Doesn't quite work that way. But very the best of the premier in his. Uh, uh, in his attempts, and he said, he was asked a couple times, are you taking French lessons? And he says, well, I'm going to learn French. And then he was asked again, are you taking French lessons? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to learn French. And then you wonder, anytime you see an Anglo politician, an English politician learning French, you know that they have federal aspirations. And that is the truth. So if Doug Ford is serious about learning French, it's because he's got his eye somewhere else. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, A former liberal cabinet minister, uh, Dwight Duncan, at one point, all of a sudden started speaking in French out of nowhere. Like I'd covered this guy for years. I'd been to a number of his his budgets. And all of a sudden he's speaking in French. And you're like, yep. Guess buddy's looking at Ottawa. And true enough, that's where he was. He was looking. Of course, didn't. Things didn't work out, and uh, he is out of politics now. If you have a certain age, you recognize these chords. Because it begins slow. You have to excuse me, I'm not in my... Just enough to refill your drink. Grab your sweetheart. Wander out to the dance floor. And begin moshing. Home for a Rest, of course, song by Spirit of the West, and news that John Mann, lead singer of Spirit of the West, helped create a soundtrack for a generation, for parties, for weddings. He has passed away. Diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's disease at the age of 50, Mr. Mann died Wednesday in Vancouver. He was 57 years old. I had the pleasure of working and interviewing with John Mann as a young journalist in Vancouver in the early 90s. I covered the band, you know, they were obviously hometown heroes. And they sort of reached a high water mark around the mid-90s with the release of this song. This is Venice's sinking. But the story begins earlier with Mr. Mann and Spirit of the West. They were kind of a punk ensemble, and I remember seeing 
coverage of them on the new music. And here was this kind of Celtic band, but they were punks, very much akin to the Pogues, where he realized, well, punk music can be in other kinds of genres as well. It doesn't have to just be guitar, bass, and drums. And then when I moved out to Vancouver and started to cover the band because I did a lot of entertainment reporting at the time, I actually had John's phone number. I would call him up and say, hey, congratulations. Uh, you know, Venice is Sinking is just blowing up. It's a great song, and you're getting airplay right across the country. Amazing. Uh, you know, I'd love to do an interview. And he would, you know, take the call himself, and he would show up with his family. And just the most down-to-earth, just friendly and delightful guy. All the whole band was. And I had an opportunity to see them a bunch of times live. And it's such sad news. But Mr. Mann, when he was diagnosed, when John was diagnosed, he decided that he was going to dedicate what was remaining of his life to something in particular. And that was taking away the stigma of Alzheimer's. And all of this was documented in an amazing documentary called Spirit Unforgettable. Here's a little bit of it. Spirit Unforgettable is the story of the band Spirit of the West and its lead singer John Mann uh, and his diagnosis at age 52 of early onset Alzheimer's. Uh, it tracks the history of the band and John's struggle through uh, the disease in the lead up to uh, a show by the band here in Toronto at Massey Hall. Now, you can see that documentary. It is online fairly easily to find. But here's another clip, and this is John's wife, Jill, talking about who he is. There was this uh, tsunami wave of love that uh, was so uplifting. You, John says that he is fortunate, fortunate in an unfortunate way. And we really feel that way with the way that uh, fans have been so supportive and have given him so much love. John Mann passing away Wednesday at the age of 57. And according to the Alzheimer's Society research, one in four Canadians would feel ashamed or embarrassed if they had dementia. And in one of John's interviews, when he disclosed the disease, he said he was tired of hiding it. To talk more about Alzheimer's disease and taking away the stigma, I am pleased to welcome to the program Kathy Barrick, who is CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Ontario. Hi, Kathy. Hi there. John was a, an ally to the cause and did so much to talk about and to raise awareness about, especially early onset Alzheimer's. He, he really was. He uh, became a very dear friend of ours at the Alzheimer's Society. And, you know, we not only supported him, but celebrated his willingness to be open about what he and his family were dealing with. And through that and many of the other things he, he did with us over the years uh, while he was diagnosed have, have really helped change the conversation for sure. In the past, people would have been, I think, more surprised to have heard of a, a diagnosis at John's age of Alzheimer's. But how prevalent is it in younger adults? It's actually quite prevalent. I mean, it's certainly, you know, most people still, and it's still true that uh, age is the biggest risk, risk factor for developing uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, but, you know, we still hear lots of people diagnosed at younger ages, you know, even in the 30s. So it's, it's not, uh, uh, you know, an alarming rate, but certainly more than people would expect or understand even. 
And when it comes with stigma, that was uh, an alarming number there of the percentage of people that would feel ashamed with any kind of admission that they are suffering from dementia. How do we combat that? I think, honestly, people just like John who say this is what's happening and I'm not ashamed of it. And, you know, and watching John through his progression and, you know, in Spirit Unforgettable is a great example of that. You know, he still embraced life. Music was a huge part of it. He was surrounded by family and friends who accepted and loved him. So the more people talk about it um, and uh, demonstrate to others that, you know, a diagnosis of dementia is not an immediate uh, death sentence. There's still lots of life left, and John most definitely Uh, embrace that uh, philosophy throughout his time with dementia. What are we seeing in terms of um, the latest drugs and the latest um, treatments to be able to uh, prolong the onset of the more uh, drastic consequences of something like Alzheimer's? Well, sadly, it's been many, many years before we've had really a a disease-altering intervention in terms of medication um, hit the market, uh, like probably more than 20 years. Uh, Good news from Biogen uh, recently in the last month or so that they are actually going for approval of their latest drug, um, which has shown some positive effects um, in clinical trials. So that's certainly good news that you know, something new is on the horizon, but we're still a very long way from fully understanding how this disease happens in the first place and how we can prevent it and uh, hopefully someday cure it. In John's case, it was difficulty remembering song lyrics that tipped him off that something might be up. What are generally, uh, or is there an advantage to early detection? Obviously, in, in some cases, in some diseases, the early detection is, it makes a big, big difference. Does it make a difference in dementia? It certainly can. Um, you know, there are medications uh, that can help uh, alleviate some of the symptoms and, you know, potentially slow the progression a, t- a tiny bit. So the earlier uh, that people have a diagnosis, the better, and, and the chance that those kind of interventions will help. But in addition to that, you know, some of the lifestyle things um, that can really help people in their progression of dementia, such as, you know, staying socially connected and being surrounded by people, staying active, um, being physically uh, fit and healthy, eating well, all those things actually have shown um, can help um, help people stay healthier longer. So the earlier, know, earlier that you know what you're dealing with, uh, the more uh, opportunity you have to, to do some of those things that can help uh, your progression. Kathy Barrick is CEO of Alzheimer's Society of Ontario and join me on the line. Kathy, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you very much. And I want to leave this segment on a positive note because I think that's the way John would have liked it. Here again is a little bit of their perhaps biggest hit before Home for Arrest really became, you know, a standard uh, wedding stuff. And once again, here is Venice is Sinking.
All right, I want to quickly, before we run out of time in this segment, and we will be taking you live to the presser from Kyle Dubas about what's going on. We in Leaf Nation will be taking that live, and we will bring that to you just shortly. But I want to talk about what's happening in the legislature, in the Ontario legislature, in terms of pit bulls. And it does now appear that there is considerable momentum behind overturning a pit bull ban that has been in place for some time now in this province. Rick Nichols has, or is rather, is going to introduce today a private member's bill, uh, which would change with the more controversial provisions of what's known as the Dog Owners Liability Act that actually prohibit the dogs. Nichols is an MPP for Chatham, Kent, Leamington, says that owners are to blame for vicious dogs, not the breed itself. Here's Rick Nichols. You know, I've, I've been pushing our government to repeal the uh, breed-specific legislation. It's expensive, it's ineffective, and it's discriminatory. The thing is, is that it appears that this bill has actually divided the conservatives, but the NDP now have said that they will vote in favor of it. Ontario prohibited pit bull ownership in 2005, and that continues to anchor many dog lovers. Again, here is Rick Nichols, who is introducing a private member's bill to overturn the more controversial aspects of a pit bull ban. It's not, it's not pit bulls. I mean, it's, it's dogs, it's the owners, it's how the dogs are, are treated. Uh, if, you, if you beat a dog or you train a dog to be vicious, uh, that dog will be vicious regardless of uh, the breed itself. So that is happening today at Queen's Park. We're keeping on our eye on the leaf situation from Phoenix. If the uh, GM starts to speak, we will take you there. But have you ever been tempted to just lie down at the Ikea? Has that ever happened to you? You go to the Ikea, I've, I've done this, where you're going through and you just kind of, uh, you're like, well, this is comfy. And next thing you know, maybe you're taking 40 winks. Well, in Stockholm, police in Sweden say a man was found asleep on a bed in a furniture store north of Stockholm. And when staff called, the cops showed up. Turns out the guy's wanted. So all of you criminals on the lam, my advice to you now is don't lie down in the Ikea. Well, without any further ado, Toronto Maple Leafs General Manager Kyle Dubas speaking for the first time since the firing of head coach Mike Babcock. I think it's going to, to take some time and, and require some patience, which um, which we understand when, when we do these types of things. But our way of looking at it is that uh, we've got a full belief in, in his ability to continue to develop the players that we have because I think development is still so vital for all of our players, regardless of their age at the NHL level. And he's shown the track record of continuing to do that, uh, to develop players and win at the same time. And I fully understand that this is a totally new level and the highest level you can be at in, in this profession and it'll be up to all of us to prove again that it can happen here and that's the challenge and what we're all excited about. Speaking there about Sheldon Keefe who has been named as the new coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, a bit of an understatement there that this is a step up for him because this is the first time of course he'll be coaching at this level and so much is on the line for Kyle Dubas on this. Do we have more? Can we keep going with this press conference? 
Um, I think just the um, we, thought, we thought we showed signs even during this stretch of of playing really really well um, in even in in uh, long uh, time frames and games that we ended up losing. Mark, I just felt that um, and, and in constant discussion with Shani about it. That um, you know the level of you know our ups and downs are what is with hockey a little bit and and just kind of reading off the the players and um, you know watching them how they were reacting to different things that it was probably just just time to to potentially go down this path and just continue to watch and and let the story unfold and and then um, make the move yesterday. So there's Kyle Duas talking about the fact that uh, it sounds like it was the players. Who, and their reaction that had a lot to do with his decision to fire Mike Babcock. I want to say thank you to Sportsnet for providing this audio. And now going over to Brendan Shanahan, who is being asked a question. I, I don't know if I'd characterize it that, that way, that, that a coach had lost the room. I, I just think that, that, you know, certainly from a player's perspective, um, you know, you could see the frustration uh, in their eyes, and you could you. Uh, I really thought, even in our last game, that the players were working really hard, but there there was a sort of a belief missing in them. Um, and you know, when things are going poorly like that, a lot of things are running through your mind uh, during the hockey game, uh, and you could almost see it in their faces uh, that that don't necessarily even involve the hockey game. So. Um, Man, this is just. I a, think for everyone involved in a situation like this game tonight, it's probably easiest on the players. Quite frankly, I mean, they're just they're just here to play a hockey game, and a lot of the a lot of the challenges that uh, we will face, and Kyle and and Sheldon and the coaching staff, sort of putting things together over the next uh, several uh, days and weeks. Um, I think for the players, um, you know, it's it's they're probably happy that there's a game to play tonight. They're just happy that the the big scat big bad scary man with the clipboard behind them, is gone. I mean, that's... Did you just get that sense, that reading between the lines there? So what that was is, you know, first of all, Kyle has says, well, you know, just looking at the players, they didn't look all that happy. And then Shanahan, when asked about it, it's like, well, was this the room that chucked him over? It's like, no, but it's probably easier on them that he's gone. Man, that's icy cold. Kyle, I guess for you... We're going to look at the player contracts and, you know, Mitch and Austin serving part of his national playing right now. But how does Sheldon get them to play to, them to that potential that Mike wasn't able to do that? Well, Question think, about how the I new coach that, gets uh, the players to step up. I think that our, our whole goal as a program is to is to have each individual player uh, reach his uh, maximum potential. And no, the goal is to win the Stanley member. Cup. And um, I think that those, I think the the players have shown in their entry level deals that they're capable of of great things, and and that's why we elected to uh, do the contracts that we did. And there's various other circumstances that impact um, contract negotiations and the like. Um, but just in in, in what and, and why I believe Sheldon can get the most out of them, Terry. I, I think, regardless of what the players are being paid, uh, I think that I've watched Sheldon now in, in two different spots we work together, um, and his ability to uh, absolutely maximize the the capabilities of each player and help them find their find their best. I think Mike also did a great job of that here, uh, to uh, to certain extents as well. And it's just extent, at times when these different things happen, there's no easy. All right. Way to All right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kyle. Uh, we are going to get back to that in an analysis of what's being said. And try and read between the lines there, because 
Man, you know, it, it's so funny as a political reporter, and obviously I'm a little bit out of my, my element here on hockey, I, I, you know, but it's still kind of the same idea, is that it's not what's being said, it's what's in between what's being said. And is that, isn't that so interesting? We're going to have more on that coming up. But, but before we go, uh, I just want to tell you a quick story about something that's going on in southeastern France right now at this very moment. A panda has broken loose of a zoo in southeastern France. Officials say the animal was last seen five kilometers from the park by a surprise motorist. There is a panda on the loose, people. Do not panic. Panda alert. Hockey, 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 hockey. Wouldn't you like to get canned and still have to be paid $18.75 million. Wouldn't that be the way to go out? Just say, uh, you're fired. <laughs> That's what would be my reaction. <laughs> Thank you. I'm off to the cottage. Especially because, now, of course, if you're the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, that is a job that comes with a lot of pressure. Obviously. I don't. I think pretty much you've got mayor, police chief, and I don't even know if the coach of the Maple Leafs is third. It, the coach of the Maple Leafs may be first in the high-pressure jobs that you can have in this city. And we just heard from the general manager uh, talking about why the highest-paid and perhaps, in some people's estimation, best coach in the NHL was just can. And to talk more about that, I am pleased to welcome to the program Joshua Clipperton, who's a hockey writer for the Canadian Press. Hello. Hey there, how you doing? I'm good. Um, just, I want you to be aware that if the room turns on you, you're out. So <laughs> just keep that in mind, because that's what I heard in the little bit of the press conference that I heard, which was essentially that the players lost confidence in Mr. Babcock, and that's why he is no longer coach. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Whether it's uh, it was uh, you know subconsciously or not, the team just wasn't wasn't uh, you know uh, performing up to expectations, and, and it was pretty clear after Saturday night in Pittsburgh that that something was going to happen. Uh, I was a little surprised that it happened when it did, but uh, not surprised at the result. Teams definitely uh, playing to far below expectations. A, a club that has Stanley Cup aspirations, or at least did back in September, um, you know, under five hundred out of the playoffs. Uh, this is a move that. That uh, is out of desperation, quite frankly, and uh, you know they're going to have to turn around pretty quick. Uh, the new guy who has never coached in the NHL before and is a sort of an acolyte of Kyle Dubas. This is pretty much pushing all in for Kyle Dubas, right? This is all the chips on the center of the table. This doesn't pay off and pay off quickly. He's done. Well, yeah, he's definitely playing a pretty big card. Uh, you know, in this, this he's, he is pushing a lot of his chips all in. I mean, his Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas obviously have a long, well-documented history together. Kyle uh, hired Sheldon back in Sault Ste. Marie in uh, in junior, then brought him to the Marlies, and uh, you know he's been with the Marlies for five years, had tremendous success, won the won the title. Uh, back in 2018, and um, you know now Kyle's brought him to the NHL, so they're. They're, they've been attached to the hip. They have similar views on the game in terms of speed and structure, and you know, using uh, analytical data to uh, to get the best out of their team and their players. So, uh, probably uh, a little bit more of a symbiotic relationship uh, between coach and GM than with Mike Babcock. Are, are there uh, 
parallels to Nick Nurse. I mean, Nick Nurse, you know, come was is in the organization. He's named as head coach. He's never coached before, and then he goes on to win the championship because he's got a, a stacked team and it just sort of figures out a better way to be able to you know deploy those players. Yeah, I mean, there could be something about that. But in fairness, like the HL coach is coaching his team, so he Nick Nurse was an assistant, whereas uh, you know Sheldon Keefe was in a different league. I mean, he obviously knows the big players, but when it comes down to to systems, and he, I'm sure he had some of his ideas, but he was focusing on on winning at, at his level. That's what he was paid to do. Um, so I think you know there there could be a parallel. I'm sure the Leafs are hoping that there's a parallel because that would be you know a, a quite a tremendous turnaround. We all know uh, what a magical run the Raptors went on last year. Um, Sheldon Keith is, is his own man though, and I mean he's going to have to uh, have figured this out. I, I expect him to to move slowly. I mean Nick Nurse knew all the players or most of the players last year. Sheldon Keefe knows, you know, half the roster from their time with the Marlies, but the stars never played there like Tavares and and Matthews. So he's gonna have to do a lot of uh, have a lot of meetings and get to know these guys. You know, I get. I go back to basketball because I know it better. In terms of egos in the room, how much of a big deal is that? You know, for this guy, like you say, he's coming in. He's got these big stars, and he's going to have to manage all of those egos and, and you know get the right playing time and figure out how to motivate these guys in a way that the former coach, now former coach, wasn't able to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely going to be a different challenge because he's coached only players that have been trying to get to the next level for his whole career, right? Um, whereas now he's coaching players that have reached the pinnacle. So it's going to be a job for him to, to figure out how to motivate, how to, you know, uh, figure out how these guys tick. Um, you know, hockey hockey is a, is a obviously a team game, but you, but you have superstars like Tavares, Marner, uh, Nylander, uh, Matthews, of course, who, who have, quite frankly, all underperformed in terms of the team you know, team aspect. Matthews has, you know, put up quite a few points and quite a few goals, but but it just hasn't worked in the system. So, uh, you know, he's got uh, Sheldon Keith's got a got a big job ahead to to get everyone pulling on the rope the same way. I know it's a cliche used all the time, but but they're going to have to get everybody on board because uh, you know they're they're sliding down the standings and, and they need to to start pulling in the other direction. Joshua Clipperton has given it a hundred and ten percent. He <laughs> has played all sixty minutes. And he has dug in the corners, and I appreciate that. Thank you, Joshua. Appreciate you being on the program. Joshua is a hockey writer with the Canadian Press. Thanks very much. Well, hockey, 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 hockey. Am I right or am I right? Have you ever had a problem with your insurance agency? Have you ever tried to make a claim and then had it denied where they say, listen, we don't believe you, or you just you don't get the coverage? Well, in South Africa... There is an uproar right now because there's this viral video that has gone across the country and people are outraged and they are shocked because what has happened. This family in South Africa apparently tried to apply for a death benefit from old mutual South Africa and were denied for whatever reason. So what did they do? They put the body in a bag and they took it to the office. And so there's actually, and I kid you not, there is video of this family carrying what appears to be a body in a bag. And there are other people in the office horrified at all of this. The company called the incident regrettable and said the claim had now gone other undergone further assessments. Turns out, he is dead. Because <laughs> it brought him to the building. Can I bring in my uh, judgy vegan friend, Robert, and yeah. my producer, Sheba? 
who knows so much about everything. What do you make of this? I think this is horrible. Yeah. I mean, who brings your loved one's body? Did you say in a garbage bag? No. no. Uh, It was a body bag. It's not a hefty bag. You'd have to get maybe like a super hefty bag for it. This looked like a a generous-sized person, by the way. Wow. I mean, the insurance company should have just... (laughs) What were they thinking? What were they thinking? I mean... Good for the family to, uh, to do it, I guess. Yes. Anyways, that is making news in South no Africa. No judgment here. No judgment. <laughs> Pay up or I'll bring the body to you. That's what's going to happen. Uh, I want to quickly play a little bit from uh, the premier today. And this is an interesting thing about uh, marijuana. We'll go back to the C block. You see that there? This is uh, the premier t- being asked about the privatization of cannabis the retail system and whether or not we're going to get any more stores. As you know, the whole thing is just frozen right now. The government had initially said there would be no cap on the number of retail pot shops, but supply shortage has prompted the Tory to move to a lottery system. That lottery system is absolutely frozen. The premier was asked about this, about whether or not we're actually going to move to more of an open allocation system uh, and whether we're going to get any more stores in this province. Yeah, I think that's uh, eventually what uh, the goal is, right? To open it up to the market and let the market dictate. Uh, some, It's like any business. Some people will be successful, some won't. Of course, the Premier added that the key here is to eliminate the gray market and the black market. But the problem is that they've gone to this lottery system and it doesn't look like they've figured out how to actually do it without opening themselves up for legal challenges. And now that we have these legal challenges, everything seems to be in a kind of a hold. And you have this situation where the pot shops that we do have, they're lined out around the block to get a gram. And then you think to yourself, well, I wonder why the black market's not going away. The pot's cheaper. I take that from Stats Canada, I don't know personally, but the pot's cheaper, and you don't have to line up. we got a ways to go to be able to stamp out the black market in terms of that. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this hour. It's been a great hour. I'm off tomorrow, a little bit of a New York City trip, just zipping off to a little Big Apple. I'm just going to go south of the border where I'm going to take my 75 cents to the dollar, and I'm just going just gonna to open up the bank. I'm just going just gonna to spend all the money. So I will see you again on Monday. Thank you so much.